the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With me, your co-host Sebastian Gorka and the Baron Boris Epstein. So much to discuss. We're just making a list before we went live. At least four different states where we have to discuss races. We could chat a little about my visit with President Trump earlier in the week. And then, God willing, if technology allows, we may have a little bit of a surprise guest. Another former colleague from the White House. Baron, welcome to the battle. It's so great to be here, my friend. I am looking forward to this every week. I love our new reimagined battle for 1600. I even went out and got a very fancy ring light for my computer just so, you know, the, the, the viewers, the audience get the full, full image of what we are here. We're youthful. We are strong, we're powerful, we're MAGA, and we're absolutely crushing it. And actually, it's a, I don't know what you spent, but it was a wise investment. I think it's taken maybe five years off you, maybe 10 pounds. <laughs> it's a, it was a great investment, great to see. And thank you for taking this so seriously. Okay, so we talked about Texas, California, Virginia, New Jersey. Where shall we start in telling our listeners the state of play with MAGA 2.0? Where, where shall we put the pin? first let's go let's go to california where i knew it i had a feeling i had a feeling oh did you i did not i was gonna say if he's gonna pick one i think he's gonna start with gruesome newsome who by the way this is a public service announcement gavin newsome is of course nancy pelosi's nephew just in case for those who didn't know that's how deep the rot is okay so is he in trouble isn't he in trouble the they collected more than enough uh, signatures for the recall the recall is going to happen strange strange system where you vote you vote to recall and on the same ballot where you say yes i want to recall him you have all the candidates to replace him so if there's enough it's like an automatic switch so give us the state of play what's your expectation i hear he's trying to buy voters off left right and center what do our listeners what do the viewers need to know well first of all you guessed right i do i do want to go back to cali uh, to quote uh, a hip-hop artist from the 90s notorious big rest in peace and i will you know because california is this very 
interesting, unusual, huge state, the fifth largest economy in the world, right? So it's quite an enigma. And really, you have about three, four states within California itself. You've got South California, or Southern California. You've got Eastern California, you know, more in the valley there. Then you've got North Northern California. And then you have you actually have more Republicans there than people think. If you look at the 2020 elections, Republicans did extraordinary well in the House races in California. And Newsom is absolutely in trouble. That's why, miraculously, a huge boon of money showed up in California. This, uh, this, this, this very, um, how shall I say it? imaginative way of accounting this very plastic approach to deficits and uh, budgets and he just found a lot of money didn't he don't you just love it the (laughs) year that he's up for a recall election there's usually deficit 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 recall surplus surplus so, you know, that, uh, what we're trying to say seriously is that Gavin Newsom is trying to buy this election. They also have a rule in California where the incumbent can spend uh, can raise as much as he wants, but the candidates cannot. Here's what I think it's an uphill battle, frankly. I think they do have enough. They're having the vote. So they got enough signature to have the vote. So that's happening. But I think it's going to be an uphill battle. Gavin Newsom, Newsom uh, you know, he's throwing money at it. He's throwing everything he has at it. But, but. If they get to that 50.00001%, right, and they do recall him, then the next governor is chosen by plurality. So somebody with 20% of the vote right. could become governor. You know, Caitlyn Jenner is making a lot of noise out there, and some people you and I know very well are working on that campaign. And there's going to be others. It's an, it's an interesting – I'm not involved in the race. It's an, in, it's an interesting um, political phenomenon that I'm keeping a very close eye on. I don't think it's a, necessarily a, a statement about the larger position of the country. I think it's very California specific, but I do think Newsom is, Newsom is in trouble because they had enough votes. But I do think that Newsom is going to be tough to beat in that race. But nevertheless, it's going to be a highly spent race. It's going to be a highly focused race, and I do think it's going to come out come down to the last minutes there. And the 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 vote is likely going to be as soon as September, maybe October. So it's really coming up now. Pay a lot of attention to California. It will be very interesting to see if Gavin Newsom loses, like Gray Davis did in the recall uh, to Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is the end of Newsom's career, and it'll be a very quick end because just two years ago he was viewed as the unquestioned future of the Democrat Party together with, with the other gruesome Andrew Cuomo. So, you know, the two grim reapers on the two coasts are having a bad time. Cuomo in New York and um, uh, and uh, gruesome Newsom, Gavin Newsom in California. So that's very interesting to watch there in Cali. Now, there's two conventional wisdoms when it comes to California that I'd like your reaction to, Boris. The first is uh, whichever way California tends, that's the way the rest of America does. So whether it's policies on the environment, on gas regulation or what for, you know, it, it is the test bed for, for crazy policies that we see elsewhere. Second... Uh, um, that that I, I really hope is not true, and I'd really like you as a, a, a former campaign hand, former strategic advisor to the Trump campaign and, and, and White House advisor. I, I've been to parts of California that are conservative, and, and, and it's wonderful. I mean, meet these people, they come to that. events, it's superb. Yeah, absolutely. However, there's this conventional wisdom that because of the last 40 years, 
a Republican running as a Republican with the letter R behind them is just dead out of the gate. You've got to be an independent. You can't have that that R stuck to you. Is that carved in stone? Is it was it ever true? Or is it something that we can fix? Very thoughtful questions, as always, my friend. Would expect nothing less from you, my good friend and co-host of this podcast, which I'm so proud that we're still doing a year and a half later. I'm, you know, that's that's really great. We're we're continuing with it. We're reimagining it. On your first question, in terms of the policies, you know, it's actually a little bit of a logistical issue, right? So California has historically passed a lot of regulations, specifically on clean air. And then if you're a car company, right, if you're Ford, you're not going to create a car just for California. Right. You're going to create a car that fits everything. So it's not necessarily that California is the leader in thinking, right? It's that they, they, they implement things. It's a market. Things, it's a massive market. It's a massive market. And then they force a market change. It's very important in that way. Also, they drive the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That's very California-driven as well. But there has been frequently overruled by the Supreme Court. That's the very liberal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So in terms of policy, California does push, does try to push through a lot. And when they do, that does impact specifically manufacturers, because if you're a car manufacturer, phone manufacturer, whatever it may be, you know, whatever industry you're in, you know, healthcare, you're not going to create a product specifically for California, you mass you mass produce, right? So you're not going to create a California only phone, California only car, California only medical device. You're going to create it for the whole country. So that's why that's important. In terms of an R winning in California, you know, I've long now. You and I have talked a lot about the shift in American politics, and I think what you're seeing is. I don't. I do not believe for California to be a hard edge. First of all, Ronald Reagan won California, going away in nineteen in nineteen eighty four. Okay, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger as a Republican won California in the two thousand. So the California very recently, very recently had a Republican but governor. Let me like let me before. stop you there. There's an interesting uh, commonality between those two individuals. They're both the, massive celebrities. Yeah before they became politicians. So are you saying that in California, it's got to be a Jenna, it's got to be a well-known celebrity who can break that anti-Republican stigma? I actually had a dream candidate in this race, <laughs> okay? Uh, and uh, and it's somebody you and I both know and admire. It's an, it's a an big-name actor who had huge movies in the 80s. Would you like a guess? Um, does he also like cigars? He does. Um, does he have very large biceps? He does. I think I know who you're talking about. Maybe somebody who starred in a movie that rhymes with cocky? <laughs> or Jambo? Yes. I think Sly Stallone would have been perfect. I, I think that. He, I, that could have been fun. That could have been really fun. Did you have any you know, intel on that? Was he thinking about it? I, I had dinner with him about two years ago in D.C. Great, great guy, super great guy. guy. That would have been fun. Saw him at uh, Trump West Palm Beach uh, in the spring. I think the intel is that, like most smart Americans, Sylvester Stallone <laughs> said sayonara to California. He moved to Florida. He did? And now he's a member, he's a member of Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I had no idea. What a wise man. What a wise man. So he's even nearer to the swamp. Maybe we can drag him over here for an interview sometime. Fascinating. Yeah, he, Fascinating. He'd be great. You know, we actually had a really fun exchange. When I was a kid, you know, I came over here from the, 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 the rubble of the former Soviet Union, as you know, and it was right after Rocky IV came out. 
now, right? Which is Rocky versus Drago, Drago. America versus 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 the Soviet Union. And when I was like 11 year old little pudgy Jewish kid in America, kids used to tease me, "Oh, who were you? Who were you for? You know, who did you root for in Rocky <laughs> for? So I told him that story, and he was so cool. Was like, oh no, man, that's a good movie, right? I was like, "Yeah, it's actually a great movie." It I is. Think it was an the the movie. training scene in that movie is oh. the best Rocky training scene. I'm sorry, forget the meat locker in in one. That training scene in the snow with Burgess Meredith, superb, yeah. amazing, amazing with the with the um, with the Mercedes, the beautiful, him. the six hundred Mercedes and the carrying the logs. Yeah, taking me back, brother, taking me back. Yeah, All right, well, it's stuff. not it's not going to be Stallone. Um, so, so well, I, let, let's... Like, I don't think it has to be. I don't think it has to be a celebrity. And remember, Ronald Reagan was an actor, but he was a governor. You know, and I think he, he really made his name more. Yes. on the political. I, mean, I think that there's an opportunity. I really honest and Richard Nixon came out of Cal California has been long actually a Kevin McCarthy's you know and people disagree with 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 leader McCarthy on some things but Kevin McCarthy the, the minority leader and uh you know hopefully the somebody who's in the very much in the majority in 2022 once we retake the house uh, is from California so California has got a strong bed of conservatism in it right actually really strong you know the, the Buckley had a had a presence in California so I think I think that there's an opportunity to flip California. And I think as you and here's another example. Look what happened in Texas, right? You had an 85 percent Hispanic uh, uh, town elect a Republican, yeah. a MAGA yeah. governor. I think there's a change coming, and the disaster at the border. The more Kamala Harris embarrasses herself regarding the border, you, should, the you, more... you think you just think the last interview can't be worse the next time, no. and then she makes it even worse. Did, you, actually, did you see her on Univision? Let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So we're doing a mind meld. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. That, that's, that, that was my impersonation. For those of you who haven't seen it, right? She did the, I'm not finished. You know, the, from the, from the, from the you know, that she that, did that, that, that's, how, that's how you win a, a Hispanic community, right? I'm not finished. Right. right. I'm not finished talking down to the Hispanic <laughs> Talking down to the to the to the Hispanic host, and you know my so my impersonation may not may not have been perfect, but you get the point. Here's the here's the problem. I think sometimes I believe Kamala Harris is actually on the payroll of some big Republican donors. Or <laughs> I mean, she's so bad. Can, can we? I, I, I know we got a, we got a three more races to talk about and everything else. This is a fun one. I, I got to stop here for a second. Who is this woman? I mean, I mean. This is stunning. I, I, this is a woman who says she suffered as a child with segregation. She went to school in Canada. She didn't even grow up here. This is a woman who, who's made up all these things about her history. And then I look at her track record, and I'm trying to think of any substantive oh. issue that she's pushed oh. forward. And, and I see I, I, the best, the most charitable thing I can say is there's this empty vessel that cannot, that, that knows how to smile, but cannot, cannot stand criticism, has the thinnest of thin skins. And Boris, she's the vice president. She, she I, how did this that is happen? Somebody, it happened because Joe Biden pandered, right? Joe and, Biden, and on top of that, what did she get? 1.8% in the, of the votes in the primary? The Democrats yeah, hated her. She effectively came in last in the primary. I think Tim Ryan dropped out before her, maybe President Swalwell. But effectively, out of the big candidates, she was like, she's somebody who came in with a lot of adrenaline, and there was a lot of excitement among Democrats for Kamala Harris. She 
absolutely flatlined as a candidate. And it's because of everything you're seeing. So unlikable. Absolutely. She doesn't have any authenticity. She doesn't have any ability to connect. Or, and or she doesn't empathy. Have or empathy. And terrible instincts. Terrible political. To your point, why would you why would you talk down to a Univision host, right? And then Lester Holt's given her effectively you know, softballs. Yeah. And she couldn't – how do you not go into that interview prepared, okay? That is literally like getting into a car and not knowing how to drive. <laughs> Do you not think you're going to get a question of why you haven't visited the border? Well, that, the that, that, that's the point. I mean, th- th- that's the key point. Think about it. That her reaction means means that she actually doesn't think she's going to be asked about the border ever, ever. She think, or she wants to act like she's above it. And here's the other question for the wonderful. Uh, ultra-talented communications press staff at this White House. I'm being very, 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 very sarcastic. Why don't you just send this poor woman to the board already? Just have her go, okay? It's pretty easy. She's the vice president. You fire up Air Force Two. Okay, hopefully it doesn't have any more technical (laughs) difficulties. You fire up Air Force Two. You go to the border. They clear. I don't know if you guys know this yet. I know you're working at the White House. They clear everything out. It's actually pretty easy. And you have a visit to the border. And if you think that not visiting the border makes her not own the border, newsflash, newsflash, Kamala Harris owns the border. And the more she does this awful tap dance, this awful wiggling around the issue, the worse it is for you guys long term. It's it's actually, it's unbelievable how bad it is. And notice this, Joe Biden is now throwing... Not Joe Biden. Whoever's controlling Joe Biden, Susan Rice, Ron Klain, are totally throwing Kamala Harris under the bus about this. Yeah. Look what's coming out of the White House. That they're disappointed, perplexed. This was a disaster. That's all West Wing driven. That's right. all West Wing against the uh, against against the Vice President. That's what's happening. Yeah, and the I, and you have to understand the dynamics of this, uh, dear friends. The fact that she's not going can only, I mean, can only be as a result of her saying, "I'm not going." Right, because there must be advisors saying, you know, uh, you should go, and the only person who can stop that is her, which means she actually thinks it's a bad idea, which is stunning. Okay, we've only got we've got one down. We've we've done California. Let's go to uh, Texas. The AG's race, uh, hotting up there. Some old names from the past. Talk to us about what our listeners need to know about what's going on in the Lone Star State. Well, Ken Paxton, the sitting attorney general, who is very MAGA, has been with us. Yes. He was he he was the name on the lawsuit against Pennsylvania, remember? Uh, with 18 to, other states. Right. 18 other, but he was the leader. He was the leader in that suit on, on the election issue. Uh, it, and, his, and it was a very smart lawsuit, claiming that under original jurisdiction, which means one, one state sues another, that Pennsylvania and others violated Article 2 of the Constitution because they did not follow the constitutional process of having the state legislatures decide how an election is run. They they did, did it by a, you know, either fiat, fiat. Or, or, right. or 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 it was the the, you know, state secretary of state, whoever it may be, the governor. So it was a good lawsuit, smart law, smart lawsuit. Ken Paxton is a good, smart AG, and how George Bush, George P. Bush, uh, is has thrown it to run against them. Who it's who, actually, who is this Bush? Another sign of the Bush family. I never heard of him before. Who is this guy? So George P. Bush is low energy Jeb's son, and he is George W.'s President George Bush's 
nephew, nephew. and he's the grandson of President George H.W. Bush. And, and here's the deal. George P. Bush actually endorsed President Trump in 2016, and he was with us in 2020. Yes, look, it's totally that's, true. That's shocking. That's the that's that's Bush family dynamics for you, right? I'm not going to get involved. That's how they roll, right? Jeb Bush was going after uh, uh, President Trump while his son Jeb Bush was going after President Trump while his son George P. Bush was uh, you know, endorsed endorsed us in 16 and backed in 20. Is he MAGA? And I'm going to struggle to say that because yeah. you know, there's still wide belief that Karl Rove is behind all this. Here's what I would, would have advised George P. Bush, who I have no problem with, but why run against a MAGA AG? Now, what I'm hearing is that he was going to get primaried as land commissioner in Texas, and if he's going to lose a primary, he wants to do it running for AG. But I don't like this move, and I'm, I'm supporting Ken Paxton. I think Paxton's a good guy. Uh, yeah, Paxton's a good guy. Stop. He's on the National uh, Election Integrity Board with uh, me, Bernie Kerrick, and Jenna Ellis. So love Ken Paxton. Uh, I, I, this, I have to just dig it a little deeper. So, well, so there's potentially a, a nexus with, with swamp creature Karl Rove. Oh, for sure. That's wow. that's effective. That's effectively assumed that Carl. Now, I'm not saying I know this for a fact. I'm not saying I've seen documents, but the assumption is that Carl Rove is be, is behind this. And you know, he's been with the Bush family for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Very swampy, anti-MAGA has been. You know, kind of jumped on our team, off our team. But you know, if you're not on the team, you're not on the team. You know, I like people who've been on with us, like you and me, from the very beginning, who've been Team Trump, and we're honored to be so. So. Uh, th- that's what's going on. It's very inter- going to be very interesting race there. I do think Ken Paxton's going to pull it out. Like I said, I'm, I'm supporting Ken He should, be, he should be safe, right? Should be safe, but hey, that Bush name still plays in Texas. It does play in <sighs> Texas, and that's why. And that's why I would have really advised George P. Bush and his team not to do this, right? There's even if you want to run for governor. You know, because Abbott's been interesting, right? I don't mind him. I think he's been an okay governor, but he's not as MAGA as Ken Paxton. No, right. So you want to make a run for governor like Don Hoffines, I think, is making. And you know, the pre- President Trump has come out and endorsed Abbott. You know, and full, that, that's it, full stop. The president's backing him. There, but there are also other MAGA candidates in that race. Now here, I'm not sure why, uh, why you would go against Ken Paxton if only it's, hey, I'm going to lose my primary for land commissioner if I'm George P. Bush. And then let's go and do this. But I do not like this move. And like I said, I think Ken Paxton should win that race. I hope he wins that race. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm here to help. And again, a race I'm not uh, at this time involved in. I find it always so amusing that, that the Bush family is associated with hardcore Texas. I mean, these are patricians from the East Coast. I mean, they were they were like Connecticut, right? I mean, his great great granddad had nothing to do with Texas. So his so his great grandfather, well, hold on. Here's a story. Pierce Bush, I believe, was a was a senator from Connecticut. Yes. And then his son George W. Bush moved to Texas, right. and he effectively established the Texas Republican Party in his living room. Because you got to remember, Texas, it, 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 this is the realignment, right, of of the country. Texas was all Democrat. Yeah. LBJ was a Texas Democrat. President Lyndon, Lyndon Baines Johnson. So that's how they've grown up and. Uh, and here's the thing. People disagree. I actually, you know, there are things that George W. Bush did that I like, okay? I disagree with the wars. I disagree with pushing for elections and, uh, you know, that elected Hamas and Hezbollah. But there are other, other things, I think, the way he handled 9-11 and, the, uh, you know, and then it is specifically anti-terrorism. I'm going to say, not, one, I'm going to say one thing, though. I, I think the Bushes or the Bush phenomena is as responsible for Donald Trump as the Democrats are. 
here's what I think. I agree with you. And actually, I think Joe, I think Jeb Bush is the worst of all of them. I think Jeb Bush represents that overly patrician, not entitled, entitled, completely overly titled, not able to connect. And I, I think you know they actually they've talked about how George, President George Bush was more like his mom, whereas Jeb Bush was more like the dad, very aloof. And, uh, and but I think Jeb Bush, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately for him, he got the worst of that family and represents that old line overly established republicanism that resulted the pushback to which resulted in president in president trump Mitt romney is another example of that right nobody wants that's not what the american people that's not what the republican electorate the maga movement that's not what we want to see so you know very interesting history there very interesting bush history you know but again i think george p bush may have a future politically and i think he likely does but taking on a MAGA attorney general just, to me, is a mistake. And I, and I like Ken Paxton. I support Ken Paxton. And I think Ken Paxton long term is likely to win that race. All right. We've got two states left. Uh, let's see if we can uh, connect with our surprise guest. And we'll give you the rest of the MAGA updates after that. So Love this it. is the battle for 1600. If you haven't okay. done so already... Please tell your friends to subscribe. Do us a review wherever you get your podcast. It means a lot. And spread the word. I'm Sebastian Gorka, former Deputy Assistant to the President of the United States. And I'm talking to my co-host, Boris Epstein, former Special Assistant to the President of the United States and Strategic Advisor to the Trump campaign. All right, we're recording because these people are already at each other's throats. In a jovial way, we're so excited. He is the man that made that podium just such a powerful weapon of free speech and MAGA. He is, of course, Sean Spicer, here with us on our special podcast, The Battle for 1600, with my buddy Boris Epstein, my co-host. Sean, welcome aboard. Well, it's good to be here. Where's the bosun? Hey, should be, Sean. The bosun should be blowing on, his brother. whistle. All right. Yeah, um, what's your book? The Briefing, right? That was the first one. This one's Leading America, and we may have uh, something else to share with you come... Uh, later this fall how's that as a tease sounds good sounds good check him all out you know who he is follow him on i'm trying to figure out i i i'm i'm just trying to figure out if i should add more pictures uh that'll help boris uh get through get through part you mean you mean coloring ones for crayons or like pictures pictures it's like a graphic novel okay that'd be actually that would be very useful to me like a picture book i'll give it to my boy We'll read it together, and it'll be wonderful. You do? I mean, I didn't check this out. I didn't get permission from either of you before we did this. So you do like each other, right? Yes, yes. we like each other. He, he, I, he is one of the, my, my favorite employees. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all work for the president, by the way. I just yeah, a, I would, li- yeah. a little footnote in history. Okay, so glad speaking, that— Speaking of little, Sean, it's so wonderful to see you today. You look, you look, you're looking awfully well. The Boston Red Sox the shirt is kind of a negative, though. Yeah. You mean little? Do you mean, like, the facial hair you have? Is that the – I didn't know. Okay. First of all, you only you would think this is one day, okay? This is a solid Eastern European No, actually, beard. I don't. I think that that's, that's like, probably a few months. Uh, but anyway. Don't, don't hate Sean. Who don't are, hate, who are the, I want to know who are these guys and who invited them? Really, Shad, who invited them? Okay, uh, let's get down to business. Uh, Sure, we were having a great chat. Uh, I come on your show, Newsmax, every week. We have a lot of fun. Those segments get a lot of eyeballs with uh, you and Lindsay on Spicer and Cody. Lindsay's great. (laughs) 
just I'm trying to be a professional grown up. Will you just behave? You're not back in the White House now, gentlemen. Okay. All right, and, and we had a, an interesting conversation that I think is going to. Do- I, by the way, just uh, I don't want him to feel. Out, I always invite Boris on the weekend show, <laughs> which you don't have, right? <laughs> yeah, you could. We could. <laughs> to be fair, not a lot of people know about the weekday show either. Oh, oh that, <laughs> shots fired! That's not. That's a bit harsh. That's a I'm bit harsh. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> and listen for for the audience there. In all seriousness, I love sean he was a huge part of our win in 2016 he was great to work with those early stressful days that all three of us were a part of and uh, it's an honor to call sean a friend and uh and, and someone who honestly is not just a great america but also an okay dancer as well except <laughs> except when it comes yeah. to that green shirt i will never forgive him for that green shirt okay I, i've got like 10 minutes left okay and i'd like okay. to talk about something substantive apart from the banter the banter's fun we could do it for hours but first things first um <clears throat> We do a podcast. Boris comes on the show every week, and we do a podcast called The Battle for 1600 that right now in the current uh, age we're doing MAGA updates, races you need to know about, changes, you know, what's happening in the political landscape outside of the swamp. And we had a discussion, Sean, you and I, two days ago, or yes, I can't even remember now. And it's about rhinos. It's about the establishment. And, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but let me just tee it up thusly. It, it's time... Let me let me exp- give a story from our time in the White House. A lot of people, not you, Sean, not you, Boris, but a lot of people beneath you, Sean, a lot of people running around the West Wing, um, wanted to have the approbation, wanted to have the 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 mark of acceptance of the legacy media. They they wanted the New York Post, the New York Times, Washington Post to say nice things about them. My policy was never. I don't talk to them on record, off record, behind whatever, because they don't believe in what the president was elected to accomplish. And really, they have they're not journalists. They have a, a, a motive that is political. How do we deal, Sean and Boris, jump in as well. How do we deal with the GOP legacy establishment wanting to play nice with people who want to really destroy what we believe in? So, so look, I, I'll say this. I, I think um, I, I've been doing this and around this for over 25 years, probably closer to going on 30. I think what we have seen in the past four and a half to five years is vastly different than prior to that. There were organizations in my first, I mean, we're joking about the books. In my first book, I write that, that there are organizations and people I dealt with at the RNC, six years of coordinating debates and presidential committees, who I may have disagreed with, but I thought they were fair, right? They may have had an agenda or been biased, but they, they literally, for the most part, cared. What we have seen since, basically since I think the win of Donald Trump, um, because it was different during the campaign. Even some of them played nice because they didn't think he was going to win. Exactly. So it's sort of like, okay, we can play footsie with you, whatever. Is is an all-out hatred. Um, just yesterday, a CNN host, and I don't want to get sidetracked, literally was, I call it, anchor-splaining to Byron Donalds, a black congressman, about minority voting. And I'm thinking to myself, in what world... And she kept saying, but you support Donald Trump. You support Donald Trump. And that was all that she could go back to him on. And I'm sitting here watching a black member of Congress 
be anchor splained to about minority voting. By, by hang on, by I, a white woman. Correct. Okay. Not to get sidetracked, but that that wouldn't have occurred four and a half years ago. And so getting full circle to the point of your question, I think that we have to understand as conservatives that we've been able to they've been able to hide it and play nice for X number of years up until four and a half years ago. It's on now. Right. They don't like us. They don't like him. They don't like the agenda. And so here's the deal. If you think that somehow you are going to I've always prior to to all this, I always said, hey, going on some shows, going on, whatever, going on CNN is broadens your appeal. Right. It gets you more people, whatever. We are now complicit, though. If you go on CNN, you are validating them. You are giving them the the you know the 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 ability to say that they are fair and that they have both sides so when you go on a cnn or an msnbc and that's where a lot of our guys like to go because they they want to be able to say oh i got on msnbc and da, da, da. you are helping them you are complicit in making them look like that they are fair like they are journalists and they're not and they are using us and so my point into your question is we've got to stop We've got to stop pretending that somehow if we play with them, because that's not how they treat the other side, right? We watched this. Hunter Biden used a racial epithet over and over again. It came out in not one, not one. Politico, Washington Post, New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS didn't even mention the mere existence of it. They don't care. And so if we don't get that, that... Somehow you think if you talk to them, you'll be invited to the cocktail party, the book party, the the whatever reception that's really fun to get to and you'll be accepted. You're wrong. You're mistaken. Get over it. We have an agenda. We have plenty of outlets. They call us right wing extremist news and whatever. And somehow they never refer to the MSNBCs and the CNNs, whatever, as left wing. They want to pretend that they are the conscious. They are the truth. They are the center. They're not. And we have got to stop treating them like it's OK. This is like the equivalent of going on a left wing you know, uh, it's like going on the Young Turks or something, which is crazy left socialist. It's like if you're willing to do that, then go on CNN. But if you would find that offensive, a lot of folks won't come on Newsmax, won't come on Seb Gorka's show, won't go on wherever because they go, oh, I'm not going on right wing media. Well, then why do we do it? Right. Right. So right. our folks got to stop. Sure. We've got to stop. And I know there's an urge. I know it's like, yeah, but I want to be on TV. I want to get quoted or talk to this reporter from The New York Times. Stop. That's you great. are only helping. That's great. I'm going to ask you about the so what. Uh, thank you, Sean. Uh, do you concur, Boris, with that analysis, with Sean's depiction? I'll have a caveat to what Sean is saying. I think going on there and participating in, you know, a panel debate uh, and pretending like everything is even is a joke and is a waste of time. I have gone on one-on-one on MSNBC you know, recently, including during the impeachment, effectively to, you know, to present our side and in some ways to say, to show that they said, hey, we're, you know, we are here and we're willing to, put, to fight back. If we're fighting on their terms, I think it's a mistake. And I agree with Sean 100 percent. I think being one of those you know, 10 person panels on CNN and, and, and trying to equivocate is a mess. But if there's an opportunity and in one on one fashion to go and do battle, there is, you know, for example, I think Ari Melber is a show that is useful to go on. Is Lawrence O'Donnell? Absolutely not. But if you're able to go on and have a somewhat thoughtful one-on-one conversation and parry and go back, you know, go back and forth, I think there is a benefit so, to that. 
so that's his, my one caveat to what Sean said. His his mind. I don't and I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with what Boris is saying. But you've got to be willing to go there and saying, I'm, like Byron Donalds, when he went on CNN yesterday. At first, I was like, what the hell? And then I watched him go through it, and he was like, boom! I'm going to come out fighting, and I'm going to make people understand and expose it. But if you're not willing to do that, then you are just allowing them to brand themselves as legitimate. Is, is there and anything? So- is there anything more we can do, Sean? Because I, I completely agree with you. That, that's why I had my attitude that, to the press. Well, can, I, can I make one point, Boris? I mean, excuse me, Seth, yeah. about what Boris saying. Like, what I have a problem with is picking up um, Politico or the Washington Post, New York Times, and seeing our side give them exclusives yes. about announcements and things. Why are we doing that? They're inc- they are able to now go to their audience and say, we have breaking news on all things Donald Trump and all things from the right. And so you can come read us, pay us, subscribe to us, because we're going to give you not only the left, but we're going to give you the breaking news because we are complicit. If they want to cover it, great, co-cover it. But the idea that our own people have chosen to give this to reporters that hate us, that hate us, and that's the thing to understand, they'll use you. Yeah. They'll take what so, you give them so that they can make money. Well, well, hang on. Go, go, go Go. One interesting. This actually takes me back to our early days in the White House, when I think all of us were were in agreement to, for a time, not put anybody on the Sunday shows, for example, specifically, and you know, NBC, CBS, ABC, because back then, and it was early days, and there was discussion about it because it was still we weren't as deep into this war as we are now. But I think even then, it was clear that you put you go on those Sunday shows, you're playing on their turf, unless. Sean, as you said, it's somebody who's willing to go in there and mix it up and be strong. So his, but if his, you're not, his, don't bother. Here's where I'm at, and, and we're out of time, so I'm just going to put it out there, and I want to continue this discussion, okay? Um, I, I agree with go over there to represent what we believe in and what our side was elected to represent. That's the only reason I went on, you know, that cretin Anderson Cooper's show or or Don Lemon or anybody else, to be a pugilistic representative for our values. And the rest of the time, utterly boycott them. The idea that the the politico, I mean, the gutter politico gets exclusives blows my mind. But... I think neither of those are enough. And I think we have to come to a point, and Sean, you know, I think you're, you're brewing something. We'll talk about it when you're ready. We have to delegitimize them and show them for the illegitimate, non-journalistic platforms they are. And that requires a concerted effort, doesn't it? But, but yes, because here's the point. I brought up the Hunter Biden thing before, right? Why isn't why is not why are not people calling these White House correspondents and putting on and saying, okay, go through the list. Here are the folks from the AP that are on Morning Joe every day and asking them, why did you not cover it? And they have to make them answer for it, because here's the thing. You know, Boris knows this. You know it as well. If that had happened while we were at the White House and Don or Eric. Or whatever they'd be kind of, what, what do you guys think of this? And you, how can you not comment on this? They would hold us accountable for every Republican. They and would every hold our families cousin. accountable. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though, that, that, that they would say, hey, wait, wait. a second. Uh, you know, Donald Trump's second cousin that he went to high school with did this. How do you respond? And yet we, they don't get held to account. Why are we not saying, hey, uh, X person from CBS or NBC, you failed to cover this. Why? And make sure that our that we put it out there. They don't okay. get held accountable, and All they right. get to. Switch. 
I love that fire from Sean. I, I love, love this. This is this is the love new it. Sean. This is the new Sean. Okay, I, I'm out of time. I have to, one question to ask. Did I, naive, naive 50-year-old that I am, make a massive faux pas by bringing you two guys together without telling Sean? Was that a problem, I don't Sean? Think I, listen, after... after my time in the White House, like you could bring anybody on the show. And, <laughs> I, I, because I know because Sean, I Sean, stop talking. All right, you're not at the podium now. Stop talking, because I think it was a lot of fun. I think it was a lot of fun, and especially the banter at the beginning. Can we do this again, Commander Spicer? Yeah, you know the fee. Oh, bloody hell, <laughs> you are so expensive. All right, here we go. Here's, here's the fee. It's the, called the briefing. The 30 cents already. But by, by the briefing, politics, the press, and the president, and leading America, President Trump's commitment to people and patriotism. Do it today, my friends, and he might come back. He might deign to join us again. God bless you, Sean. It's a fun, fun time always with you and Lindsay. And don't forget this guy, Boris. He's good too. Thank you, Sean. All right. Um, I think that's a wrap for the podcast for today. We're going to hit the next races, Virginia, New Jersey, next time. I'll give you a little bit of insight about my uh, my, my meeting with uh, the president uh, on Tuesday. I mean, the 45th president. Uh, I'm Sebastian Gorka. You've been listening to The Battle for 1600 with the Baron Boris Epstein and Sean Spicer. Don't forget to tell your friends, subscribe, hit the like button, and do us a review. God bless you all.